Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rudeutschen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. The guest on this episode is Katarina Grosser, the Berlin-based artist known for her enormous works in vivid, unnatural colours which take art beyond the canvas. She works quickly with a spray gun, often covering entire buildings. Like in 2008, after Hurricane Katrina, when she turned a ravaged New Orleans building a shocking orange. And in 2016, when she covered a beachfront shack ruined by Hurricane Sandy and its surroundings in flames of red and white paint. She spoke to me on the eve of her show at the Gagosian Gallery in King's Cross, London, in May 2018. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Um, how's it been going today? We're here, I should say where we are actually, we're at the Gagosian, Britannia Street in London, where you have your new show about to open. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels great. It's really, I really love looking at the work with other people because it's something I don't do in the studio at all. I just paint and look at it myself very often. I'm alone in the studio and um, though I have help and my team is around me, I'm painting all myself. And to hear people react to it is quite interesting. What have the interesting reactions been so um, far? Yeah, I, what I discover that people look at it with such different interests and such different perspectives and that um, my perspective as somebody who makes the work is so um, different in a sense that I don't really look at the work that I make. I look at what I do, but I don't really look at something that I want to achieve. And uh, somehow I have the feeling that this is like we share the jobs, there are the people that look at it and the people that make it. So I'm a little bit behind the membrane of the uh, painting and the others are in front of it in a sense. And through this membrane that I think the painting is, we look at each other and I kind of enjoy that. What's the story of how this installation, do you call it an installation? Is it an installation? Um, or what's the story? Yeah, I do all sorts of things at yeah. the same time. So I don't really look at the gallery all the time and think, mm. oh, that has to be in the show. Mm. But I, was, um, I have the model in my studio. And at the same time, I work on, on other projects that are um, going through different stages. So that there is something for K11 in Shanghai. That's, the model is quite elaborate already but then there is another one where I don't know what to do with which is maybe happening a year later so these things kind of swirl around in my head and then sometimes the clarity pops up and I thought that after a little while um, I mean these three galleries here at the Britannia Street are very different but they all have beautiful daylight which is very unusual for a gallery space and that is so good for painting and my studios in Berlin also have very different light um, situations. I have one with skylight, I have an old one, which is an old gunpowder factory that doesn't have a lot of light, but has a very beautiful darkness to it, which is also really good. And So I decided for Britannia Street I wanted one large painting in one space. So one painting, one space should be like something that um, should be part of, like the hinge of the show, and around this big space there are two other galleries, kind of... Um, with paintings that are 
different little groups that came out of a process of the last year and I painted all of this at the same time. I paint a lot of paintings at the same time. So the studio is a real mess. It's Everything is kind of covered with paint and color and um, even the walls that are not having paintings on them are most of the time somehow painted. So for somebody who isn't uh, familiar with how I work, that person wouldn't see much, you know. And out of that process, there are popping out things every now and then that are looking like clearer and finished. So I take them out of the process, and after a little while, you kind of collect 20, 30 works. And then we decided to go from there and see what could be in the show. So that's how it came about, slowly. I was wondering what, your, what you'd put into a cabinet of things that represent you. I would definitely put in um, um, uh, football. That is one of my biggest loves, or has been for a long time. I'm, a, I'm mad. Uh, I'm mad about it. I really. I read everything about it. Not anymore so much, but I did for a long time. I played in the streets when I was a little kid, and I am so fascinated by the way that a team communicates over a large distance. And um, do you support a team? No, I don't. Do I don't support a team. I'm very interested in the coaching. I started to be more and more um, looking at coaches, at their methods, at the way that they lead a team and um, the way they organize a group. And it is a little bit like how I work with the larger installations as well. It has to do with bringing a lot of factors together because an installation is never only my painting. It's always... Um, consisting of a lot of elements that I don't have in the studio, like the surfaces, the teams that are coming from the institutions and all of that. And that's why I maybe draw from the soccer clubs, coaches, individuals, and I kind of learn from them a lot, maybe more than sometimes I can learn from a, a visit at the um, wing of old masters in a, a museum. I love that. It's so unexpected have an artist say they like football in this context um, I was also interested in your upbringing and how that influences what you do today um, you were born in Freiburg mm -hmm. I believe um, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Ruhr area which is a little bit like uh, Manchester, Liverpool, a very densely populated area with coal mining, car industry and steel industry, and then later on in the 60s, there were universities coming up. Um, so you grew up in the... So you were coming of age in the 60s and 70s, and what was it like there at that time? It was a very mixed um, population there, uh, working class, um, uh, academics, uh, all sorts of different um, social um, levels in my school, actually. That was very interesting. Um, I was also interested to hear that I read about you that your mother, I believe, was a printmaker. Yeah, and she I still is. She still, she still is. is. Yeah. How did she influence what you've become today? Yeah, uh, she did influence me the same way I think actually as my father did, my brothers did, everybody did. I don't think that she was specifically influential, even though there was a moment in my life where she discovered a little watercolor on my desk and I had copied a black and white photograph from a newspaper 
when I was, I don't know, 15. And she thought it was really special. And I didn't see that myself, of course. And then she kind of said, why don't you go and do some landscape painting? I'll go uh, in a three months' time. Don't you want to come with me? And that's where I discovered that maybe painting is interesting for me. What did your father do? My father was a linguist. So he was, uh, spe uh, he was specialized in medieval German and... Um, He told us a lot of um, stories and epics from those sources that I thought were particularly interesting. And I know you've also said you were interested in the work of Pina Bausch and your parents took you to productions that were happening near where you lived at the time. Yeah, that was one big influence, I would say, apart from the soccer was uh, theatre. Would that be going to your cabinet? Yeah, I think theatre would definitely come uh, be part of the cabinet because um, the little town where I came from had a good soccer club but a very good theatre. I think like cutting edge at those days. And they gave all the money they had for culture. They split it. One was soccer, the other one was the theatre. And Pierre Bausch was very close. And I uh, went to this, uh, these performances. Um, I can remember seeing The Merchant of Venice when I was seven years old. And Shylock was offering to have a pound of flesh cut out of his chest. And I was sitting there, like glued to my seat, wondering, how does he know it's going to be a pound? Is he maybe cutting it too much? Or is he really going to do it? You know, that kind of fascination I had with it. So I have very strong memories of um, plays that I maybe didn't understand fully. But nevertheless, I did see aspects in those plays that I didn't see later on when I was older. Mm. And you studied um, at the Kunstakademie in Dusseldorf. I know you did two different um, degrees, I believe, at diff two different um, academies. Um, but I was interested to see that at the uh, Kunstakademie in Dusseldorf, you, you were there at the same time that um, Gerhard Richter was teaching. I wasn't sure if he taught you or not, because that didn't seem clear. But I was aware that he was actually at this, in the same institution as you at the same time. Yeah, Düsseldorf had an interesting yeah. setup. Richter, Namjoon Pike was there, the Bechers were teaching. It had quite a tendency towards the photographic image. So this is what I wanted to ask you about on how, how you feel about photography and how it relates to what you do. Um, yeah, I had to think about it a lot mm. as a painter. And there was a moment when I was also experimenting with um, video a lot because I was really inspired by Pike. And the video apparatuses at those uh, times were, were really complicated, you know, they were heavy, they were difficult to handle. And I started to realize that I, I had to go back to painting somehow because I wanted to work alone and I liked the directness of my activity, of my thinking that I could directly see on a surface, whereas with um, uh, photography or paint, um, video I would always have a transmitter that was in between me and the image result. And I also wanted uh, this relationship of the body with the surface. And I think that the homogeneous surface of photography or the screen uh, triggers different parts of me, but never the whole body, visceral intelligence that I thought I had. Did you meet Gerhard Richter? When you oh, yeah. yeah we, um, What's he, he like? He is, um, has a very dry humor, and he is... Um, uh, He was conceptually very clear um, about his 
as his work is as well about his um, function and purpose within art historical references. It was very interesting to have different people to talk to. So I did I did meet Pike. I did meet other art and painters in the in the school as well, and um, the friction between the. Uh, photographers like Gursky or Struz or Ruf were uh, a little older than me, for example. There was Katharina Fritsch, the sculptor, who was a really interesting person to meet. Kasper König was teaching, uh, was giving seminars about um, um, art in public space. He took us to see a lot of people. Like He brought all the young Americans to the school to talk, which was in those days unusual. So young Jenny Holzer or young um, Jeff Wall came and talked about, with slide, slide carousels, <laughs> talked about their work. And we learned so much with this, you know. So that was interesting. Mm. It's interesting what you say about um, video being that um, barrier between the creator and the and the surface, because I was also going to ask you about the way that you work with a spray gun. Um, and in the videos that I've watched of you creating your work, you know, you're wearing this, what looks almost like an armour, like a suit. Um, and obviously the, the spray gun becomes some kind of extension of your arm. So you're almost like some crazy automaton or like a, it reminded me of that film Transformers, you know. Almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was something that really makes you feel like more of the, the artist that you are when you put the when you put that armor on almost it's almost like a sort of superhero's outfit in a way yeah you um make yourself much larger your reach is amazing you have other tools like scissor lifts or ladders any kind of tool makes you is an extension of your your body your reach your power your time so i become incredibly fast also with the spray gun I can make large paintings in no time. As if I do a little scribble, I can transform it into a different format, of course. Mm. But I like the intimacy of the smaller format as well. I think they're very, very different um, ways to paint and to think through painting, and they allow me for different ways to be visible. Mm. Is there anything else that you put into your cabinet? We've got fo- soccer, as you call it. I call it football. Football. Uh, <laughs> Theatre. <laughs> Theatre. Um, as a country, uh, is absolutely has to be in the cabinet New Zealand. I've been traveling a lot while I was when I um, left school. I lived in different countries and had studio um, studios in different countries. And there, I, once I was invited to um, live in New Zealand for three, four months, and I found it really, really amazing. My partner is a New Zealander. My girlfriend comes from New Zealand, and I've started to visit every year. And now I'm building a little studio there as well. I love the way that the ocean meets the land and um, the culture clash that you still feel and is so contemporarily discussed between, for example, the Maori culture and the culture of the um, um, different stages of colonialization, I find very fascinating. Have you thought about creating any of your outdoor works there. I'm thinking of the um, pieces you've done in famously in America, like Rockaway that you did after Katri- um, Katrina and um, the one that you, you did in New Orleans, which were buildings that you covered mm. in paint. Have you thought about doing something like that in New Zealand? No, I never think of 
doing something sometime in the future, really. It is really out of a moment. When It's a, more like the idea of coincidence. Somebody comes to me, talks about something. I'm starting to get an idea and find it interesting. Somehow intuitively feel drawn to it and then something comes about. And I think that the occasions that are created like that create a sense of place, which is different from space or making a show. So the Katrina project was fascinating because the the building was already changed by the storm. It wasn't a building anymore. So it was already at the tip of either disappearing or reappearing. So I could use that momentum to create it into something else. Mm. So it was fasc- and, was it, and it was demolished afterwards. Yeah, it just was de- just now, I think. Maybe a couple of months ago. So I suppose that's interesting because then it becomes the time element becomes part of the art work in itself. Absolutely. And that's why I cannot think about something in the future, really. I think when time starts to be impactful, that's really like as if it turns into um, an urgency. And that urgency I, I also want to have in my work. Mm. So I try to give it, to speed my work up with the spray gun. And that's what creates right. that aggression or urgency or getting close to you. You can't avoid it anymore. It's like creating a moment where you say, I, no, I can't say yes or no or maybe. I really, it happens. So all argumentation disappears. It's a little bit like when the debate stops, a little bit when you fall in love, where you're not saying, actually, I don't like that the color of the hair. You don't say that when you fall in love, yeah. right? So that's very close to what, what I want to What does your explain. partner do? Is a painter. She's a, She's painter, a painter as well. As well. Yeah. Mm. Is she based in... You live in Berlin. And is she based in Berlin as yeah, well? Yeah, we travel in between the countries and was, other places. When so. you were saying New Zealand, I was thinking, because there's been quite a lot in the press recently about those super, super rich people who have mm-hmm. built those houses in New Zealand for... I'm not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um... I also wanted to ask you about um, in last year, I believe it was, you, you created a lot of buzz in London when you did this exhibition in the South London Gallery um, called This Is How You Drive Your Mother Up the Wall. Is that the this correct drove my mother this drove up my mo- the wall. This drove my mother up the wall. I think, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a very evocative title, but I also, it, it stood out to me. Um, because you featured the work of two female artists in it, um, Agnes Varda and Claudia Muller. Um, and I just thought that was particularly interesting um, in relation to what's been happening a lot recently with the Me Too and Time's Up movement and whether that's something you think about or support as a female artist. Yeah, I do. I think... Um for, uh, on the one hand, I think a lot of things have changed. When I um, look at the life of my mother, for example, and me, I think there's a huge change in what my possibilities are and how I live my life. But I do think that we have to absolutely um, look at the way that we run our societies, and we're not doing so well in many ways, and uh, why not just rethink it? What, how would it be, what would it be like to have a lot of voices come in, um, look at our decision-making processes, go away from these very, um, like, uh, monolingual boards that run lots of our um, processes. We have to go away from this, and I think the women have to really rethink their roles as well and think about what they want to do and how we uh, think and live and make decisions. So, absolutely, I think it has to be changed in many ways, not only for women, for all, for a lot of other um, groups in our society as well. Is there anything else you put into your cabinet? 
Um, I would like to put into my cabinet um, uh, um, passion fruit. Great name for a fruit and also great taste. I think it's a sweet, sour, has a great texture. Um, it looks really not so attractive, but then when you open it, it's amazing. So I think that's a really fantastic thing to have. So passion fruit mm. for all of us. Mm. That's lovely. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. There's only three things now in my cabinet. We had four, I think, didn't we? So we had mm. soccer, theatre, New Zealand, New Zealand and passion, passion fruit. fruit. Oh, you right. can put something else in. A yellow diamond. Wow. Expensive. Well, that's the disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> Do you own a yellow diamond? No, I don't. But I don't have to. I think it's great to have, to, to see it, to look at it, uh, to think about it. What is it about... That. Oh, the, the spark! It's the most, the biggest amount of light and color and sparkle in a small spot, and it's very hard. And the yellow is not really yellow; it is any other color. It's also um, thousands of years old, hidden. So you keep it in the cabinet, you wouldn't wear it as a piece of jewellery? Oh, I would wear it, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I know a very good jeweller for it as All well. Right. <laughs> well, that's great. That's a good one to end on. <laughs> Maybe you could organise that for me. Yeah, I'm just thinking who I can put you in touch with anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.